I had to burp. It was really cute sounding. All right. <laughs> okay. Is that what we're going with? Which is, why, which is what I <laughs> muted myself for. <laughs> I didn't want the listeners to know how adorable that was. They're not going to. You're going to cut this part out anyway. Anyway. Yeah, am I? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Ten Cent Takes, the podcast where we mind prime one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Frazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, the ferocious facts man, Mike Thompson. I am not skinny enough to be a facts man. <laughs> hey, you know what? When you put skin on them, they look like you or I. That's true. <laughs> How you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm good. Good. I have a whole iced coffee in front of me. <laughs> and this is it's one great. that you're not donating to your aunt's under your house. Not as of now. <laughs> I did knock another one off of my perch the other day. I just, I have no, I have no counter space. So I'll like set it somewhere and be like, this is fine. It's never fine. It's never fine. It, no. Anytime <laughs> that you say to yourself, this is fine. It's not going to work out well. This is going to go great. Shut up, Jessica. No, it's not. (laughs) But you know what is going to go great? This podcast. Goddamn right. (laughs) And in fact, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate comic books in ways that are both fun and informative. We want to look at their coolest, weirdest, and silliest moments, as well as examine how they're woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. And if you're enjoying the show so far and want to help us grow, it'd be an absolute huge help if you'd rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts, because that really helps with discoverability. This week, we are delving into the depths of the great unknown and taking an intergalactic trip. We're going to be discussing Six from Sirius, which is a sci-fi comic series. But before we shoot ourselves into space, Mike... What is one cool thing you've read or watched lately? <laughs> I just read today a little graphic novel called Get Over It by Mary Shine. I met Mary a couple of weeks ago at a Schultz Museum event that my co-babe was headlining. And there was a, a meet and greet afterwards where you could meet all these comic creators that were participating in these talks and then a panel discussion. And Mary is a graduate from the Center for Cartoon Studies. And I think this graphic novel was her thesis project. It is this really cool story about Leslie, a high schooler, running deliveries for her dad's restaurant. And Leslie has a unique ability to see what's called miasma, which is this psychic energy tied to people. And she can use it to predict their actions and moods. Basically, a person's miasma can manifest as kind of like a totem spirit, for lack of a better term. But when Leslie makes a delivery to a university lab, she winds up picking up this device that lets her physically interact with folks' miasma. So the core concept is turning therapy into psychic monster battles because negative miasma manifests as a sort of destructive force that then infects other people nearby. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a really clever idea. And the latter part of the story, it it actually winds up being an emotional gut punch that looks at how trauma affects people throughout their lives and the ripple effects it creates. And the art is super cool. Mary's got this really fun 
kind of playful style. And the comic itself, it's all black and white. But then she drew everything with the miasma in this kind of like neon orange. So it's this really neat representation of like, you know, psychic and physical items. And I've never really seen anything like it before. Yeah. Mary was also absolutely lovely to chat with. And she's a local creator. She lives in Petaluma. Hopefully we can bring her onto the show sometime to talk about her upcoming graphic novel that she's working on. She did kind of a preview reading of it at this event and it looks super cool. I'm really excited about it. That's so neat. I would love to have her on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So what about you? Well, speaking of people that we have met in person before. Oh, ho. I'm in the process of reading Dave Dwanch's Mind Palace. Oh, that's a name that I haven't thought of for a little while. I know. We need to well, have him on the show, too. I Yeah, I really want to have him on. It's funny because Sarah right now in the living room is reading Jenny Zero, which oh was also gosh, one of his comics, funny. which I discussed about a while yeah. ago. Absolutely. And yeah, we both picked this up and got it signed by him at East Bay Comic Con. Yeah. Super nice guy. Would love to have him on for sure. And Mind Palace is also really cool. It was published as a graphic novel complete series in 2022 with art by Santiago Guillen mm-hmm. and Duanch doing the letters and colors. And I'm only on issue one of the graphic novel, so I'm, I'm still reading through it. But it's a really neat series that takes place in what seems like an alternate reality consisting of TV show characters. So like Hannibal Lecter's there, along mm-hmm. with the pie maker from Pushing Daisies characters from other shows there seems to be something that's tying them all together and something sinister happening with some beasts who have been spotted in the woods and so far the plot is still developing so i'm not sure where it's gonna go but i do know that there's this like mystery benefactor and there's murder (laughs) (laughs) yeah the uh the twist is really good i like i was really excited when he was telling us about this book yes same Also, of course, the art is great and the colors that are used, it goes from bright and fun to like dark and sinister. It's a really cool combination. So I'm really stoked to read the rest of the graphic novel to see where this heads. I'm incredibly curious about how all of these characters' stories are going to collide, as it were. Yeah. Well, what do you say we beam ourselves into our main topic? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, so as I mentioned, today we're going to be wandering through the stars and talking about the limited series Six from Sirius. We'll talk a little bit about the publication and creators, and then get down to the meat of it and talk about the content. So at the top, let's go ahead and get some resources. So I used the marvelfandom.com wiki of Six from Sirius. I used another site called Totally Epic, which was more of a blog post. The website says, a totally ill-advised rereading of everything published by Epic Comics. That's at totallyepic.kwakk.info. And the Six from Series 2 page on comics.org. Yeah, there was not much info about this one. Yeah, I mean... That checks out. Now, the reason we're doing this episode is because I found these issues yet again 
in a bundle at that amazing Outer plane sale last year. Mm -hmm. That absolute gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it supplied us with a lot of stuff. It's funny, though, because you asked me if I'd ever heard of this. And I was like, yeah, I keep on coming across it in the dollar bins. Like, I've seen the covers so many times and I've never picked it up. And I don't know why, because it's like, you know, very much like the kind of comic that I would pick up. I guess I got distracted right. by probably the, <laughs> it was probably sitting like right behind some 90s trash or something like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Some of them are very, very boob forward. So I know. <laughs> Six from Sirius was a four issue one shot sci fi series published through Epic Comics, which was Marvel's spin on a creator owned comic line. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about Epic a few times before on the show. And at the point when this particular comic was conceived, Epic was publishing their creator-owned series through a comic anthology titled Epic Illustrated, which would host different ongoing series through monthly issues in this anthology. Right. And if you want to learn more about Epic, go back and listen to our Halloween episodes with Dan D.D. Chichester, as he was uh, an editor on Epic and... Also, the godfather of Hellraiser comics. Our buddy Dan. So yeah. Cool. He's coming back. I'm so excited. Yeah. Not for a while, but he's coming back. No, but he is. Yes. <laughs> so in issue number one of the series, there was this cool introduction by Archie Goodwin explaining the creation of Six from Sirius Co-creators Doug Munch and Paul Gullisey had previously written for Marvel's Master of Kung Fu in the 1970s, and Epic had received numerous requests for a re-team up of the duo. Mm. But Gullisey was working full-time in advertising, which is why he had initially had to quit Masters of Kung Fu. He didn't want to keep facing the pressures of the deadline. I mean, I can kind of get that too, because probably working in advertising was a bit more stable. I mean, like, I don't know what it was like back then, but I'd imagine that as comic books have still continued to operate, they were probably being employed as work for hire creators. And uh, yeah, and that's a little hand to mouth. And, and advertising, if you're an illustrator of this caliber, could probably crush it and have a full time job working for an agency. Exactly. He was doing work with storyboards and other type of you know, using his creative abilities and other ways through advertising. Mm -hmm. But if he was giving something creative without a weekly or monthly deadline, sure, he was in. So there's a section at the end of the fourth issue that has the making of, which is a fun little timeline in the form of conversations where Gullacy and Munch discuss what they want the vibe and the emotion of the comic to be and how they landed on the name and the genre. Interesting. They were explicit. Yeah. They were explicitly told not to do a superhero comic, okay. which they concluded they would do a mystical sci-fi. So they go through the many changes in the plot and how they collaborated to make it fit both of their visions. And it also details the rising amount of pages going from thinking it would be like 60 to 70 pages to 90 pages and uh, finally landing on 120 pages. Yeah, this is like, a like because you gave me the graphic novel to read. This thing is a chocker. I did. And it's funny because none of that behind the scenes stuff was really dictated in, in the graphic novel. I think there's an intro where they talk about it. Hold on, let me see. Um, <laughs> yeah, Doug Munch talks a little bit like there's a one page thing but that's that's it it's like an intro kind of essay yeah 
And it's cool, too, because they also experience life changes along the way, like the Mm. birth of children and engagement and wedding announcements and then more babies. And then they get the news (laughs) that Epic doesn't just want them to print something in Epic Illustrated. They want them to have their own limited series. And Hmm. this was, in fact, the first limited series in Epic's history. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So after a few years of collaboration, Six from Sirius was finally printed. And it was the first technically close-ended story in a limited series from Epic. Well, and this also would have been one of the earliest miniseries because this wouldn't have been too long after the world of Krypton, which we talked to Paul Kupperberg about earlier this year. Exactly. Exactly. That's so cool. Right, right there. Moving along to issue number one. <laughs> <laughs> issue number one was published in July 1984. The writer and co-creator were Doug Munch. Artist and co-creator was Paul Gullisey. Letterer was Gaspar Saladino. Editor was Archie Goodwin, and associate editor was Lori Sutton. The consulting editor was, of course, Jimmy Shoots. <laughs> there he is, every time. He's right behind He's us re- again. Recurring guest star, Jim Shooter. He's <laughs> He is like the shadow person in the corner of every room. <laughs> it's wild, man. He shows up in so many of our episodes just tangentially. Oh, no. One of these days, like, just a voice is going to come from the ether while we're recording, and it's going to be Jim Shooter. James. It's going to be James Shooter, in fact. It'll be his more right. formal <laughs> existence. We're, we're not at Jimmy levels of familiarity. No, we're at James. So, we start off the comic with a woman having a vision, the image of a man playing cards, and the number six. We then go to that card game where it gives the reader the opportunity to meet the crew who are all government agents who come from the Sirius hub. And they are Screed, who is a Shakespearean nerd who wanders around narrating their every move into poetry. I swear to God, he needed like, okay, I'm sorry, but Screed, like everything about him, I'm like, you would have like an obnoxious scarf and a trilby and just be tipping it all the time and referring to women as milady. Oh, 100%. He tipped a fake hat at, at one, one point. point. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, oh, it was gross. Yeah. yeah. He, like at one point he had a trench coat. No, he didn't. Uh, he, it felt like he should. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, please don't be. So next we have Grodd, who is green. And he like dresses like he's from like medieval times. Yeah, he looks like royalty almost because he's got like he kind of a does. crown. He's wearing like a crown, yeah. yeah. And he only speaks about himself in the third person, by the yeah. way. He's also the designated what they call um he's basically the make like a mechanic. Yeah, he's like a mechanic, but not quite. Um, hold on. Yeah, he's there are a couple mechanics. They call him the grease monkey, which I didn't want to use because it feels like it's like that just seems like it could be really like like uh, they call him a grease monkey wizard. Yeah, I don't love that. Is grease monkey offensive? I don't I don't know about I that. Don't know. I, I, don't I don't think know. it is. I've heard, I stray I, away from calling people animals these days. You know what I mean? Just generally. I so it's kind of like an older piece of slang, but I've never heard it. 
I've never heard people object to it because it's like, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a racial and gender neutral term. Okay. We'll go with it then. So grease monkey wizard it is. Next we have Starn, who's the mechanic of the crew. Mechanics of all types. We have Lamasque, who is an expert in anthropology and alien communication. Zumatan Lar, which I am going to be pronouncing her name as if it was in French, because that is how it is in my brain. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. I mean, she looks vaguely European when we first meet her. I'll right. allow it. Yeah, yeah. Because Matan means morning. Hmm. <laughs> so, anyway. So she's the computer expert and computer enthusiast. Don't worry, we will get to it. And finally, Jacosa Lone, who is the leader of the group. So the mission, as explained by Jacosa, is that they must rescue a woman by the name of Phaedra, who comes from the planet Balsamo. Not balsamic vinaigrette, as I my brain keeps going. Solid. I know, right? I kept doing that too. And then I was writing it wrong because I was second-guessing myself. I was like, it can't be. Yes, it is. So it is the planet Balsamo. And she is the ambassador to a moon called Heavenstone. Uh, the Heavenstoners, by the way. I thought that was a good touch. Just beam me up. Yeah, Orbiting the planet Axelon, of course. And it's explained that Phaedra has ESP. She's being held at a deep space prison station of her home planet's making. But they're given no real details what the reason is beyond go get her. Yeah, they basically are told, so like, they... we don't know why she's being held by her own people, even though she's an ambassador. Exactly. So they're like, go, go rescue her. So they form a plan to get in, which involves them becoming, quote unquote, invisible. So they do what any reasonable crew would do and disguise the ship as an asteroid. And they make it past the notice of the guards through another asteroid field. And these guards are called faxes or facsimiles. You can tell when that was made. I thought that was a very, very dated reference, and I loved it. I actually really liked it because they're called, like, fax men. And I was like, oh, that's yes. interesting. I'm like, what? Huh. And then it was like, oh, it's facsimile as in, like, an Im imitation. I'm like, oh, that's it, actually it was, yeah i did kind of like it it's cool and they've they've all got like really interesting robot designs it's very unusual like they almost look like insect like yes yeah they have big old eyes when they're just in kind of robot form so these facsimiles or faxes fax women fax men they're robot replicas of people but in this case they have like more robotic than human features so they all go aboard the prison vessel, the crew does, except for Zimatin, who is working with the computer and doing the necessary hacking and research in the moment. They get through the ship by first tripping the faxes. They come across with a rope extended across the ground. It, like Classic. literally no exaggeration. It's literally they just they kind of distract them and then pull a rope taut. I was like, damn. All right. It's great. No notes, honestly. <laughs> Then they shoot them with blasties, and then they just outright run away from them. And while they're on their way to finding the prisoners, they run into this strange void that's like spewing energy, something none of them had seen before. And they're like, I don't know, that looks dangerous. Let's just leave it alone. And there's no time to stop and look into the void. There's a mission at hand, and Fox is following them. So 
They evade the faxes. They make it to the prison section of things, which looks rather small for having a whole ass vessel dedicated to this. But okay, sure. Like, it's like six or seven cells. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's interesting because the closest thing that I could kind of describe the design as is it reminds me a lot of Deep Space Nine from okay, Star Trek. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So it was one of those things where I'm like, I we don't really get a sense of scale. Like, that's the thing. Ex- like, it's kind of hard to, right. to tell. But I mean, based on the sizes of the rooms, like, it looks like it's pretty big. So I don't know. And, and it's staffed by a bunch of robots. So presumably they don't need living quarters. Uh, mm, whatever. Right? Yeah, I don't know. So they find Phaedra, and she's in a trance, but when they break in and wake her up, she informs them that she is neither looking for nor interested in being rescued, thank you. And Jacasa pretty much says, too bad, this isn't your choice. Cute. We don't love that. And as the rest of the team releases the rest of the prisoners to cause some chaos... The faxes go from trying to protect the ambassador to trying to kill her, and the team successfully gets her back to their ship mm-hmm. and jets away from the prisoner ship. We then get a little backstory about the intergalactic drama that was happening. So Balsamo is rife with a desired commodity, Sidrian crystals, which are a power source. We also find out that not only is the once dead Heavenstone being carved into one of the most glorious worlds in existence, as Zimatan says, But Phaedra's grandfather was the supreme architect of the moon. So, Mm. you know. They explained to Phaedra that her rescue was just the first phase of the mission, and the ultimate goal was to foil the plans to blow Heavenstone to smithereens, and potentially taking all of Balsamo with it. She doesn't really buy it. Later on, Jacasa and Phaedra in a heated discussion about the fact that they did essentially kidnap her. And she brings up the very valid point that he could very well be keeping her from the very important Heavenstone negotiation she was supposed to attend. Mm -hmm. So while they're talking, she gets the image of a man in her brain. She does not like the vibes that this image brings. And she figures out that Jacosa is somehow mentally enhancing her abilities by being around her. She gets to meet the other crew of more length, and then someone starts appearing in the matter conveyor. Think transporter. That's what we're doing. Right. With That's here. very much what it is. Yeah. It's the man from Phaedra's vision. He got there very quickly. Uh, his name is Collator Jacondor, and he was specifically brought in to explain the situation to her, which involves delving deeper into the drama with the three aforementioned planets. Axelon is the planet of an advanced tech. Balsamo is the more primitive, quote unquote, in tech, but exceeds Axelon in raw power now. And the moon Heavenstone, which is covered in those Sidrion crystals, as well as religious fanatics, until those same fanatics were most likely killed on their own planet, uh, swarmed en masse to the moon after it was developed and they were still headed in that direction as well. Right. And now particle beam weapons have been seen being transported to Heavenstone. No big deal. So obviously some shit is about to go down. We end this issue with Jacondor stating that Heavenstone would be completely demolished should there be a weaponized war as they see coming. So, that's it. And, just kidding, there's an issue too. Which was published in August of 1984, with all the same creators from the first issue. This issue is titled Phase 2, Master Facts. Dun dun dun! And picks up right where we left off, with Phaedra reacting to the information that she had previously been given by Jacondor. She's pissed because, A, 
she doesn't think it's true, and B, she assumes that since she is the ambassador, she should be privy to everything that's happening between the two planets. That's probably not how that works, babe. So Jacondor is pretty much like, well, that's the jam, and also I'm out of here. And he tells the others to go into the negotiations with an open mind. He asks Zumatan to send him back to the Sirius hub. However, as she was going to do so, the system was invaded, which neutralizes Jacondor because he basically was like, be, he was replaced by the thing that was coming in. Yeah. And it was dun, 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 Master Facts. Okay, Master so. Master Facts. I need to say something. <laughs> Jacondor basically he he shows up and he is like I am a walking exposition dub where he's just like I'm going to tell you but, all yes. of this ba- let me let me explain the backstory so that you know everything it's a lot of telling and I mean that was very common in terms of like comic plot points back then which is that it would be lots of telling very little showing or they would be telling what they were showing yeah, which was wh- always frustrating to yeah, me. It, it's one of those things that like I have a tough time with it now when I read that stuff. I mean, you know, but basically it's just kind of like, well, all right. Like it just kind of grinds the action to a halt. Exactly. Exactly. You could always tell these moments where they're like, oh, look, we're introducing this character. So we have someone else to tell us this other thing, you know. So Master Facts, the killing robot states that its sole mission is to take Phaedra, and it's at that point that Phaedra understands that she really is in danger. So Jacosa ends up in front of a particle beam, which should have taken him out, but somehow, using her ESP mind-connected powers, she saves Jacosa from certain death, somehow, and he comes out of the explosion yeah. unscathed. And they just cannot kill this thing. Like, they're blasting it, Everything like this thing will just not go down. So they decide that the only thing they can do is to abandon ship, which Zimatan is definitely not interested in doing. She is like, but what about the computer? Right. It was so sad. She was like, it felt like the computer was her friend that she was like leaving, you know, and even worse, she definitely doesn't want to blow it up, you know, and so she's incredibly sad to have to blast it to pieces. but blasted to pieces they do, assuming that Master Facts has also met a similar fate as the rest of the ship. I mean, that's a safe assumption, you would think, and then they show him, like, drifting in the wreckage. You're like, all right, whatever. He's just drifting. (laughs) And he has little, he has little, like, little blasters, so he's like, and he, like, blasts himself out there. You're just like, his mission, his mission is still hot in his circuits. So, the team heads to Axelon, even though they don't have an invitation to do this. And when they get into the atmosphere, of course, when the team doesn't answer air traffic controllers, they are fired upon. Well, you know, understandable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, anybody would do this. So they evade the ships in different ways. And once they hit a certain point, the ships just stop following them, which. Fish- yeah, okay. And it's because they have entered the Wasteland, which is essentially a desert that is inhabited only by a solid wall of reptile bats who almost fly (laughs) off with Phaedra and five skeletons wearing red robes, of course. Yeah. It's explained that the skeletons are the five people whose dreams sculpted 
heaven's stone, quote unquote. And they're revered as being still alive by their followers. Yeah, they're known as like the five elders, I believe. Exactly. But it's like basically, it's also, they're they're almost kind of like mythological figures at this point. Like nobody is able to get to see them because it's such a hard journey to get to them, etc. And nobody leaves when they get there. Yeah. And we'll we'll see why. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. The skeletons, even though they look very dead, Mm -hmm. start to glow. And the light seems to be affecting Phaedra the most, and it speaks directly to her. And it's explained that the government of Axelon had released a large flash that had taken their lives, but that in doing so, they had attained a spiritual union and absorbed the bombs that were meant for the moon. So now Axelon is scared of them, and also mentioned that basically anything living that comes into their territory is also sacrificing themselves to the cause. Telling the team to join them. Yeah. Yeah. Cutscene. They're making a Phaedra facsimile, but like with full skin and hair and all that good stuff. Like it looks like her. Yeah. We we, we get one boob tastefully displayed from afar. Yep. Thus showing that shadows and the under bits. Yep. Yeah. Thus showing that this is not a comic that has the Comics Code Authority approval. Exactly. The single nipple do it. So cut back to the cave. The beings also validate the information that Jacondor had told them, finally convincing Phaedra of the team's mission. The beings also mention that while the events that lead to destruction have been set in motion, so can other events that lead to the prevention of this end. And after they give this message, they start shooting light beams into Phaedra, who looks like she's going to pass out. Mm-hmm. Jacosa tries to prevent this, but the beings say that they're not harming her, just elevating her communication. Rubber. Yeah. And with this, she has extended sight, which helps the team as she yells at everyone to move, just as motherfucking Masterfax shows up. Large Boulder trying to crush the team. They get out of the way right at the right time. They end up taking out Masterfax. With just a blaster, which had not been working before. Yeah. And it's explained that the beings had helped in communication with Phaedra. Yeah. To get rid of the robot. Yeah. It's. Hmm. We also see that Masterfax, even though he is a robot, has a spark of a soul, which is contrary to the beliefs of the team that he would have anything like that. The skeletons go back to being inanimate at that point, and the team plans its next move. To Heavenstone. Yeah, I thought this was actually really interesting because the whole idea is that like it's going into that piece of sci-fi of beings ascending from their physical forms into energy. And yeah, I don't like the whole thing with Master Facts. It felt very underwhelming, I got to say, because it's like, well, like, you know, he was this badass who like caused them to blow up their ship. But instead of actually having another big battle, it's like it's one page where he crashes through the roof or whatever of the cave. And then he's taken out and then like, oh, yeah, well, his soul's with us now and he's happy. And I'm like, oh, okay, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. So in the publication in printed in issue number three, it says that it was published in October of 1984. But that doesn't follow the timeline necessarily, because. 
Number two was published in August 1984. Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if this was a misprint and that it was published in September because the number four was published in October. Well, or they were just published that I don't know if they were. I mean, they could have. Let's see. Hold on. Because it was like July and then August and then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they may have. It said it was a monthly. It said it was a monthly limited series. So I don't know if they if this was a misprint. I, it could have been a misprint. It could have just been like because publishing dates are always weird for cover dates. Um, it's oftentimes like, you know, the months are a little bit off. Got it. Yeah. So we had the same creative team with the exception of the letterer, who was Kevin Nolan for this issue. Okay. This issue starts with Phaedra and Jacosa talking about their connection and discussing their growing bond. Okay. With Phaedra being really impressed that he was concerned about her. The bar is really low, folks, even in the future, apparently. I'm okay. Here's the thing like, you were so worried about me. Yeah, I I know, but it's like, this is still the era of like, where societally, like, so little was expected from men in terms of just empathy (laughs) and being decent human beings. Like, like in, in fiction, dudes were always very stoic very like i don't know very they were very flat characters like women were the emotional ones right right that's definitely the real life case (laughs) sarah yeah sarah can absolutely tell you that who the emotional one is in our relationship spoiler it's not her (laughs) what I am the emotional needy himbo. Like, it's fine. It's okay. You're Sarah's Ken, and that's cool. Oh, 100%. He's, it's funny because, like, we talk about, like, the dogs, and I'm like, no, like, you know, Iggy and Noodle are very much like, you know, they're like their dad in different ways. Like, Noodle is a very submissive himbo, and Iggy is an emotionally devoted, like, you know, clingy, slightly neurotic dog. I'm like, it's like all of my personality aspects split up. Seriously. Oh my gosh. I love that for you though. Yeah, you know, it worked out. Have good little companions for yourself. <laughs> it's good. It makes me feel better. So Phaedra and Jacosa are enjoying their moment until Phaedra starts getting some psychic vibes. She's not grossed out that she's about to make out with this guy, but she is getting some psychic vibes <laughs> about an incoming ship from Balsamo. And it's coming to do her harm. Oh no. I like I if also gotta say wavering, it's like the worst fucking yeah. flirtation. Like I'm just like, oh my it's god. Awful. I'm like like the it leaves me feeling drier than Ben Shapiro's wife. Like <laughs> I just I can't <laughs> I'm like there is there is nothing exciting about this dialogue. Like like anyone it was that's just been like out of nowhere. It is, but anyone that has been in love or or in lust can tell you how exciting things are and like how passionately you talk to people that you feel that way about. And right. Like this is my big complaint about the book is that none of the characters actually felt like people. They felt like objects that were just furthering the plot. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Anyway, sorry. So that's no, don't please don't be. So the two are actually making out when Zimatan sends a message over the intercom that they're in trouble. <laughs> they evade the ship, but they end up crash landing on Heavenstone. And with that ship full of balsamoins, as they called them, 
on the chase with the direction to take Phaedra alive. So they end up cornering her and grabbing her, but Jacosa vows to find her and goes with Grodd to do just that. So they burst onto the cruiser. They take out a few of the people they've decided are probably all fax men at this point. Mm. They can't know that for sure. They just assume it. And Jacosa ends up finding Phaedra, who is acting a bit cold to him. Weird. We also get a hint that Jacosa and Zamantan used to be a thing, as he calls her lover, with quotations. Mm-hmm. Yikes. So they end up going to the spiritualist settlement, which is full of pink women dancing around a fire, wearing next to nothing, you know, stating that their religion is bound in the flesh. Yeah. And and what's weird, though, is it's like very kind of desert nomad kind of garb. Yeah. I'm like, this is a weird yeah. juxtaposition. Very strange. But the guys, as well as Lamasque, are having a grand time of it. Yeah. And as our team is enjoying their victory in the spiritualist camp, we see that Phaedra has not, in fact, actually been rescued. It was that facsimile of her. And she is bound and is having to mind prime to keep (laughs) herself alive, explaining that she can use her ESP powers if there are other humans aboard, but that it won't really work on faxmen. Back at the camp, we find that Starn had the final orders in his item box, apparently, since he had the highest probability of surviving up to this point. Okay. Sure. Phaedra is being shady. And says she's just going to go for a walk as the others look over the message that was being relayed to them by the now-deceased collator Jacondor. It's explained that when Heavenstone was built, there was a secret base that was also set up on Balsamo. And within the base was an incredible weapon, a consciousness actuator, which was the force that the team had encountered when they were first trying to break Phaedra free from the prison planet. I fucking love comics, man. I know, right? Consciousness actuator. (laughs) It's It's so good. It's amazing. It's also explained that the negotiations are just a delayment tactic to get the Heavenstone in the correct place to be able to take out Axelon with the particle beam. And the real reason that they needed Phaedra is because with her abilities, she might be the only person who may be able to control the actuator. Of Mm -hmm. course. So it's imperative that she herself makes it to the negotiations. The team is pissed because they weren't given the full information, they feel lied to, and they figure out that they're being lied to even more, deducing that the real reason that they want control of the moon and Axelon out of the way is so that they can have access to the Sidrion crystals that are just littering the moon and are a powerful source of energy. With the whole conflict, of course, coming down to money and greed. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Kind of. Five billionaires in the ocean familiar? Is that how this is sounding? (laughs) yeah but without the delightful payoff of that story that's true that had a fun ending so we could (laughs) shoot billionaires into space i man my tiktok algorithm got so fucked because we were sitting there watching a bunch of jokes about the billionaires getting crushed in the ocean and we were living for it and then all of a sudden it was a bunch of like shitty comedy influencers who no. just like, took, oh. oh my God. And I had to like spend a half hour going through like all the people that I follow and liking more videos by them no. so that I could get oh, back no. on the like 
trans indigenous lesbian comic book TikTok. Yes, yes, there it is. There it is. Yes, I'll send you more puppy videos. How about that? <laughs> Gosh. So we find out that Starn also has a homing device that's set to the frequency spit out by the actuator, so they have a way to track it. So we get a look at the real Phaedra, who's really pissed that she's been used so many times and vows to exploit those forces that have been trying to do the same to her. And then back on Heavenstone, Jacosa and fake Phaedra are having a moment, with Jacosa starting to get the vibes that she wasn't really acting like herself, even though it was really obvious before. Oh, yeah, it's totally obvious. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. And then she, like, pulls out a pistol she'd been hiding this whole time, which we got to see a while ago, but I wanted the audience to have fun with that. So she pulls out a pistol, and she threatens him with it. And Zimatan busts in and shoots the gun out of her hand and reveals that Phaedra is a fax woman. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. Well, and the whole thing is that Zimatan, like, sits there and she's talking, because it's, it's been explained earlier. She has, like, what is it, a solomonoid? Hold on. It's a term. Did not keep all terminology. No, it's just, it's one of those things that, that kind of, hold on. That's not it. Hold on. Yeah, because it's explained that she has a solenoid soul, an affinity for machines. And then she says, and ever since you brought her back from the Balsamo Cruiser, I've had the distinct feeling that our new Phaedra, in quotes, is something less than flesh and blood. Bleep. Yeah, there so like, go. so it, it's one of those things where, again, like psychic abilities, blah, 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 able to right. sense machines or some shit. I don't know. This is where the mystical comes into the mystical sci-fi. <laughs> also, I have to note something. I had such a tough Noted. time telling the women apart in this book. Because yeah. they are all illustrated in the same way. They have like the same build, the same hair. The only one who looks remotely different is Lamasque, who has, again, the same build, the same face. But she's got like a nice little kind of punky hairstyle. Like it's a little bit shorter yeah. and, and chopped and, and layered. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool. You know. So back to Phaedra, the actual Phaedra. The real living, Phaedra. Living Phaedra. She does a mind prime. And finds the truth that the real Phaedra is actually dead and that she is a Syrian double agent named Shardrina. Shardrina, say that 10 times fast. Who has been mentally, I know it's awful, been mentally programmed to believe that she is Phaedra. Okay, I gotta say, like, this was the plot twist where I was just like, this was, I'm out. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, this is dumb. Like it's such Did a, your it's, eyes roll into your, the back of your head so hard? I like, thought I was going to get whiplash. Like this was the one, like, you know, most of the plot twists, I'm like, fine, it's kind of pulpy sci-fi or whatever. This was the one where I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, this is right. not, this does not affect the plot in any meaningful way. No, it really, truly doesn't. So she is actually a crystal healer and was previously bonded to Jacosa. So... They have like, history even before this. Like, whatever that... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's... Right. Uh, okay. Which, quote-unquote, explains their connection. Sure. sure. Sure it does. 
So she's even more mad at finding out that she's been doubly exploited and plans her vengeance even harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was already mad. Now she's pissed. So Shardrina manages to get a hold of Jacosa on his Apple Watch. I mean, his watch communicator. That shit looked like an Apple Watch. It totally with, like, did. Extra yeah. sharp bits on the outside. Yeah. She still doesn't know what had happened between herself and Jacosa and says she doesn't want to know and knows that the relationship was conflicted and she's just going to do what she has to. Mm-hmm. And on Heavenstone, the team finally notices the huge particle beam generator that had popped out of the ground and is starting to get worried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Phaedra Shardrina is taking off in an escape vessel. And Zumatan is making a big decision. She has repaired and is putting her consciousness into the fax woman, even though Jacosa said it was a bad idea. Like, what was the rationale for we, it? Was it so like she could be a sleeper agent in that body or something like that? I think probably that was. And we end with her basically pushing the go button to switch her consciousness over. Yeah. So issue number four, published in October 1984, had the same creative team with Gaspar Saladino returning to letter this issue. And we pick up right after Zumatan has moved her mind into the fax woman, which of course proves to be a huge mistake after... Of course, right after she does this, the ship is attacked, and of course, her body is blown up, of course, leaving her stuck in the fax woman body, of course, permanently. (laughs) Yeah, because there's a whole thing where she's like, well, I can return home when I want to. My body's just sleeping, and I've like, I think she said that she'd like kind of, it's implied that she like suppressed the personality of the original robot or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Or whatever. It's yep. vague. Yep. So she's in the consciousness technically with something else. Yeah. Which is weird and gross. You know, of course, that sucks for her. <laughs> so mistakes have been made. Jacosa's comforting her, asking her why she did this, with her answer being that she wanted to be the hero for once. And she also asks him, it's not so terrible to walk away from your real body, is it? Cue a close-up of his sweating face and a wide eye. Right, which made me wonder if he was, like, a fax person. Oh. Did you not notice that at the end? Was that? They confirm it. Oh, do they? Okay, I didn't quite catch that. Okay. Yeah, no worries. Well, we will get there, my friend. Don't worry. I didn't leave that out. I left a lot of stuff out. I didn't leave that out. So the rest of the spiritualists are massing around on Axelon. They're going to jump into the ship. They're all waiting to get into Heavenstone. What does mm-hmm. that sound like? Yeah. The rapture is coming. And on a platform in space, I assume on neutral ground, the negotiations are taking place. The leaders are stating that Phaedra couldn't make it, but a Phaedra pops up and goes, actually, bitches, I'm here. Let's do this thing. <laughs> and she starts talking to those assembled, and it's revealed that it's actually Zumatan. <gasps> Star, yeah, Starn ends up being able to tilt the consciousness actuator, making it miss its target. But someone else yells to have them turn on the actuator. So Phaedra sees a vision of the dead and dying of the planet if the actuator is successful. And it's mm-hmm. then that the real Phaedra, well, Shardrina, descends 
embracing the power. We get a flashback of Shardrina and Jacosa before all of this, and they were arguing about him giving up his body and her stating that she wanted something more from him. And then she turns into solid light in a quarter page spread, becoming the light, becoming everything. The light shining down on all of them has an extreme effect, causing them to find remorse in their actions and vowing to work together for the greater good. This leaves the crew to plot their next course, with Zumatan regretting her decision to take on the android body, talking about how she's not alone in her consciousness, and with the final reveal that Jacosa is also, in fact, an android, and that he may not be able to be with Shardrina and pondering his own wonder at the universe. Are you looking at it again? I am. I totally like looked up that I scene. I didn't get it. I... I, I missed it. No, I missed it the first time I read through it, and then when I went back to go do the... um. Because I always read it first and then I go back and I like do the recap. Yeah. Because I miss stuff the first time I read it a lot of the time. Um, and I was like, oh, shit, he is a robot. Like, I ca- I was like, what does this mean? Like, yeah, like it's one of those things where like I was reading through it and I was like, oh, now that I read that specific panel again. OK, now I get it. Yeah. But but it's, it's and they like talk about his quick... face that will never change. Through, he talk- Yeah. Oh, well, there's hints. There's hints. His, his face will never change through the ages. And like the fact that like. You know, Zamatan had brought it up to him and yeah. how he, there are a few lines about him, like, no longer being of, like, of Flesh the world blood. in that yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that was interesting. And I that was something that I, I didn't pick up on right away, for sure. Yeah. No, you know, and it's also it's something that's revealed literally in the last couple of pages. Like the like yeah. the final actual reveal about him being being not human is on the last page while he's staring up at the sky. Right. Um, right. Cause it's, it is hinted I, on those other couple places I said, but I misunderstood yeah. it. I thought it meant like he was an alien or something because it's very oh, it's, interesting. It's worded it's very like, kind of like with this very kind of like passive flowery language. And yes. I was like, Oh, okay. And, but the other thing is cause like during the big panel, he's like, well, I'm not going to be like a fax man. I'm just not going to be flesh and blood anymore. Like he right. says, hold it's on. Like, well, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. I simply won't age. Why not take advantage of what science offers? And he says something about like, it's, oh, he says, because he says it's still flesh and blood and not like a fax man. I'll look exactly the same. Which I don't understand how that works. It's like, okay, whatever. Cool. cool, cool yeah. Cool. yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, I guess take care, you know, take advantage of what we have in this age. Botox yeah. exists. And that's what I say. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right well what do you say we move on to talking a little bit about this i know we've got some yeah. feelings yeah, yeah, yeah we've let a few things slip out but who uh, if anyone is your favorite <sighs> character of the series i put character very loosely in this I, it doesn't mm, have to be one of the six yeah but the, the, I, the six are the only ones that they focus on i mean yeah i like i guess it's Zemetan. Like mainly because it feels like she was yeah. the best developed as a character where we saw her kind of like progress through stages of character growth. Um, I can see that. I like, I will say I, I did like Lamasque both visually and also because she was like, I felt like she was kind of like the most together. Like she was just like, yeah, I'm just good at what I do. Exactly. And I do like, even when she's not good at it, she's like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Not today, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
which was great because she had a run in with Phaedra and they were like, oh, we'll have you talk to our like bomb diffuser. And she's like, not diffusing anything today. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I really liked LaMask the best. Speaking yeah. of her, I think she she seemed to stay out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> she just wants everyone to get the fuck along. And she doesn't have a stake in the love triangle, which good. Stay um, out yeah. of that for sure. No, like, like like that shit never works out well. She's also super confident. And I like that she was like, boys, flock to me during the evening at the spiritualist oh, yeah. camp. Yeah, no, no, no. Like. She's like, all sitting cattywampus on a chair and with like surrounded by men. I was like, yes, girl, you do it. You get that dick. <laughs> like you get do you get all the dick you want. Get the D, get the D. Exactly. So <laughs> what was your favorite plot moment? I actually so I. I really enjoyed the first issue and how the whole prison breakout sequence was done. It felt like this legit fun heist kind of plot line where they had all these cool details and plans where they're talking about how like the walls of the, of the jail are like impenetrable. And then they have like 10,000 sensors, but they're going to get around them by basically just having an asteroid storm of like small asteroids hitting the walls. And then they're going to like, just kind of sneak right on in. I was like, Oh, that's pretty clever. And like, Like everything about it was just kind of fun where, you know, they do all that. They have this like great stealthy approach and then they fucking trip the facts, man, like with a rope. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm like, I, I feel like I've got an idea of what this comic's going to be like and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and also I felt like that was a really good introduction to the concept of the facts, man. I wish that we had had more of the Faxman actually showing up as like recurring antagonists or characters, like even maybe Faxman who could be allies. It, you know, it didn't really go anywhere, but, um, but I liked, yeah. but I liked the introduction. I liked the idea behind them. I think you could do some really interesting things with that as a plot device too, about like, do they identify as part of humanity? Are they something else? No, that's just it. Because they they took so much time to tell us that the Faxmen had a soul, but then yeah. they were fine killing Faxmen. Yeah. And that's what I didn't get. It's like, well, you just made it really clear that there is something there is something living about them. And you, because they are not the same living thing as you, you just really don't care if, whether they get in your way. If they get in your way, they're done. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, it reminds me a bit of Cylons and Battlestar Galactica. Like, I haven't watched the original one, but I know in the 2004 series, there's this whole exploration of, like, you know, Cylons having souls and, you know, being self-aware and all that stuff, which I think you could still explore that pretty meaningfully. But that was also something that wasn't really a big topic back then. Yeah, right. Well, I, to be clear, I didn't like this, but I was... I was very surprised at the turn that they took with Phaedra being Shardrina. Like, I, mm, I, to be clear, I wasn't surprised at the romance of it, but the fact that there was the double blind of her being a double agent, I was just like, okay. I, you really, you really turned it, didn't you? <laughs> there is a movie called The Brothers Bloom by Ryan Johnson. It's great. It's one of my favorite movies. But one of the reviews I read for it was by Roger Ebert. And he described it really beautifully where he was talking about the plot line for it. And he's like round and yeah. round and round it goes. And by the time it stops, like we basically don't care anymore. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of where I am. 
there it is. Yep. 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 Speaking of romance, what was your take? There was the whole Jacosa, Phaedra, Zematem love triangle, which was further complicated by the fact that Phaedra was also Shardrina and like Don't they had shit. like bonded. Okay, cool. Perfect. So, like, like, here's the thing. Like, it was, I it do felt not care. Right. Yeah. It, it like, I get it okay. because again, like you're, you're trying to like do all these different things. You've got a very space opera plot. And like part of the space opera right. plot is you have to have some like element of romance to it for some inexplicable reason. And I hate that we feel like we have to shove romance in where it's not needed. I yeah, I wasn't a fan. Like it didn't push the plot at all. No, I think you could have lost that whole plot and I think it would have actually been fine. Yeah, I think it would have been better. Yeah. Ultimately. I like honestly they could have I think they needed to prune it a little bit. Like and if they had if they had yeah. pruned some of these extraneous plot points it would have been a much more streamlined, effective story. I think so, too. Like, they could have left the psionic bond between them just as that. Like, it's yeah. already super fantastical without the love triangle that they just, like, shoved together. Yeah. Didn't feel like they fit. The vibes were off. Oh, the vibes. The vibes. Well, speaking of vibes, how did you feel about the plot twists? What were your thoughts? I was fine with them. Like, I I was of two minds about it. Like, I think each plot twist, for the most part, was actually pretty interesting. But it also feels like there were one or two too many. And that, you know, and that was the thing for me. But the other thing is that it reminded me a lot of kind of pulp sci-fi stories where it was like, you know, it was coming out and they would kind of leave things on a cliffhanger. And then there'd be a plot twist to, to introduce a new plot element in the next, you know, pulp magazine chapter or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's fine, I guess. Right. The one time I wrote a novel, the feedback I got was, there are a lot of plot twists and she escapes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to write anything else. (laughs) American media has betrayed you. It's true. And apparently none of us are ever going to run into quicksand. So there's that. (laughs) I don't know. Just go to Florida. You'll hit a sinkhole eventually. Oh, God, I would. It's not safe for me to go to Florida. It's not safe for either of us in Florida. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Well, speaking of ultimate fates, what was your feeling on Chardrina's? Mm, it felt pretty hand wavy and dismissive. Like, I I think they'd had so many plot twists with her and they didn't really know how to end her story. Like, you know, in a way that felt really like. That, that didn't really meaningful. feel yeah m- meaningful cohesive like yeah, uh, okay. the thing okay here's the thing that i was thinking of when she shows up and then she like ascends because they give her the choice of like well you can like they give her a choice of like you can either ascend with us or you can do something else with like the it's beams of the choice yeah but it was like do you remember the episode of the simpsons with poochie the dog i wasn't allowed to watch the simpsons okay. as a kid my, my parents didn't like the simpsons yeah so it's this whole thing where Homer creates like Poochie, the rapping dog, who's like, you know, riding a oh skateboard God. and has a backward hat. And like everybody hates him for itchy and scratchy. Like, but then he gives oh, this meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. He gives this like meaningful talk like about like, hey, like, you know, I know that we got off on the wrong foot and maybe we can all like work together and like be friends. And it's actually like basically everyone's like, yeah, this sounds great. And then what happens is they air the episode and Poochie is like, I have something to say. And then it's someone else's voice. And it's like. I have to go to my home planet right now. 
And then you just oh. see the animation. You see the animation cell getting lifted off the page. And then there's like a little piece of text that's like, Poochie died on the way to his home planet. And I'm like, he was. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead moment. Oh, Holy yeah. Crap. Like, but, no, happened off scene. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that's that was the whole thing was it felt kind of the same way. It really did. Yeah. Ugh. What a good example. Oh, my goodness. It's It felt a little fridgy, right? A little, yeah. Honest. She's a character who, who mostly has things done to her. And even yeah. her choice at the end, like we just said, it wasn't hers. It was kind of something she had to do, according to the five elders. And it was like, listen to this person or listen to this person. But in reality, your choices are only those that others set out for you. Yeah. Which was gross. Yeah. It and was I a mean- bummer. And that's similar yeah. to like a lot of stories that we've talked about, like with Dazzler, like, you know, like in, in other things right. where it's like, oh, yeah, OK, so these are heroines where they don't have really a lot of agency. They just kind of like let things happen to them. Right. Like, look how many yeah. times she got kidnapped. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it's like and she was just like, oh, no, as she gets like lifted off, like mm. waving her hands and feet as the person like. You know, beating mm. at the back of the person carrying her, basically. It's like, come on. Yeah, and then all, all the dudes, like, go chasing after her. It's like, okay. Of course, right? The one guy who's, like, and madly in love with her. Yeah. yeah and and Lamaska, exactly. <laughs> I get and, the impression like, that Lamaska is just like, really? Like, we got to do this shit again. No, 100%. Lamaska is so done with this bullshit. Like, I get that. I am Lamaska. Ultimately, we don't even know what her experience of the situation is. She's just the universe now, I guess. Classic story of being a woman. Yeah. At some point, you just melt into the universe. You're no longer your own person. So what did you think about the art in the series? Like, oh, did you have a favorite art moment? Like, I fucking loved the art. I thought it was just right. stunning. Yeah. Like, there are a couple of decades that have, like, very distinct styles. Yeah. And so, like, you know, you look at, like, the 30s through the 50s, and you've got that very streamlined style that has become retrofuturism now. Right. The 60s, and particularly the 70s, things got real weird. And I think it's because people were yeah. doing a lot of hallucinogens. Yeah, and then, I think so, too. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I really loved everything. And the other thing is, like, this comic is beautiful. It's painted. Like, it's not like a traditional yeah. comic. And... I loved how it felt like this really cool melding of like hard sci-fi where you've got like spaceships and laser guns, but then like the style, the character design in certain ways is so out there and it's just, it's so alien and strange. And, you know, this was like right around the time when everything was getting co-opted by like people who had to like ape star Wars, you know? So they, they, it was, it was kind of, I really, really liked it i thought it was just beautiful i think my favorite art moment was when the crew finds the five elder skeletons and then they manifest as the spiritual beings because you had this very dark sequence for a little while while they're like in the caves being chased by those bat things and suddenly the energy is all like white and blue it's really cool yeah i love those bats they were so cool they were really neat and that's the thing is like it it was like you know again 70s style like alien design where you're just like oh fuck this just is weird yeah it was this panel where you get like it looked like a bat but it had scales all over it and Mm -hmm. it's green it had this big old mouth with teeth it was just such a cool panel Yeah. yeah i really like the style of art too 
I love how detailed everything was. And I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, each of the characters other than the women, you know, had their own vibes. Yeah. I'm, like, I mean, as I said before, like it was hard to tell the women yeah. apart. I did like right. how Phaedra had like this like giant white eye makeup, like kind of on yes. her eyelids and stuff. It reminded me a lot of Trixie Mattel now. Where, yes. Like, <laughs> Um, Except that then everybody was Phaedra. So it's like, well, that doesn't yeah. help anymore. No, I know. But I, I will I will acknowledge that I liked her her basic design. I loved her eye makeup. Trixie Mattel is a treasure. Like there's a TV yes, show on, on Max 100%. right now where she is renovating a motel in Palm Springs. It's delightful. Yes. Trixie Motel. Yes. yes. Sarah and I want to go stay there at some point. Also, she and Orville Peck. Uh, the country western oh, singer okay, yeah. uh, showed up as guest judges on an episode of the most recent season of the Blue Brothers, I think, because oh, they, cool. it was like a western theme for their horror drag stuff that they were doing. And so I love that they had yeah. Trixie and Orville Beck, where I'm like, absolutely not horror at all, but no. but very queer and very western, and I love it. I'm here for it. I love it. Oh my gosh. I have to say, I'm not really sure about Zima Ten's head thing that she wore. It was giving... It was weird. Very much the evil queen from Snow White attends a Zumba class. That's an excellent way to describe it. it had, like, it. that thing in the front with, like, the ponytail in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was like, girl, get your dance on, I guess. Like, yeah. are you a girl boss, too? But the design of the robots, and especially, like, again, the lizard bats, were really cool. Yeah. My favorite moment, however, was when Shardrina turned into a solid light form. Like, I just really like how she was drawn as this really faint form. And, like, the light bursts were done in this really cool way. And I I think it really drove home the point of that scene that she was really, like, becoming everything. Yeah. Do you remember when you and I were talking about Sandman? And there's and we were talking about the one with Ishtar and how she's working at like the strip club. And then she does this thing where she dances and basically goes nuclear. It kind of reminded me of that where it's like, yes, it no longer looks entirely like a woman. It looks like the idea of a woman, the concept of a woman. Yeah. Well, you know what else it reminded me of Um, in one of those solar comics? Oh, yeah. 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 Solar Man of the Atom. Kind of person. Yes, and they had the yeah. light beam, and yeah, so that kind of vibe. I I really liked it. So I yeah, the art really like, if nothing else, like the plot can take me on whatever. Like it's a comic book. Like we know that the plot isn't isn't always going to be like, yeah, you know, groundbreaking necessarily. But you know what what saves a lot of these, and definitely I think for me what saved it was the art in this situation. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. Do you have any final thoughts about Six from Sirius? I think it represents both the strongest and weakest points of sci-fi in this yeah. era. I think it's got a really interesting plot. I think it has absolutely stunning visuals. I think it's got some fascinating ideas for like what the future could hold, you know, however far into it we are. But I think it focuses a little too much on events at the expense of characters and yeah overall i enjoyed it i'd give it like you know like a seven and a half out of ten like you know yeah do not regret reading this see that like no no regrets no (laughs) regrets well mike 
Would it surprise you if I told you that there was a six from Sirius 2? Actually, it would. First of all, it felt very complete. But again, like I am so unfamiliar with all this stuff. But like. Right. Right. It's also one of those things where like the creators weren't massive names, at least not that. Right. Not that I've heard, not that people talk about regularly now. So, yeah, yeah, a, a little bit surprised, but I don't hate it. Yeah, it was uh, published December 1985 through March 1986. Yeah, I mean, like, that's right after this one. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they definitely, they did their thing, Chicken Wing. And I don't know if this one was put into a collected work, like the graphic Mm. novel that I had you borrow, but... You know, I actually didn't even this the six from Sirius two didn't come up in the first like few research tabs yeah. that I had open. And it wasn't until like towards the very end of me doing my research that I was like, oh, OK, they did another set let's, of this. Let's see. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. And this time it had the epic, you know, of course, and the Marvel logo on it. Six from Sirius two. Super interesting. It doesn't look like they did a trade paperback of it. It looks like they did. Yeah. Um, it looks like they issues. did two variations of six. Well, let's see. Um, like the original printing, there was a 1988 collection, according to the CLZ app. Mm. That might that might actually collect all of it. I don't know. It doesn't say how many pages it is. Um, yeah. But six from Sirius 2 only has four issues listed. Yeah, it's it's just another four issue limited series yeah. like this one was. Yeah. So and from what I've read, it follows, you know, kind of more missions from the government style right. kind of a, a vibe. So I don't know much more than that. Yeah. All right. Well, that about wraps up our discussion about six from Sirius. How do you feel about jetting off to our brain wrinkles? Pretty good. Awesome. All right, we have reached Brain Wrinkles, which is that one thing comics or comics adjacent that's just been rattling around in our noggins. So, Mike, what is it for you this evening? I have been thinking about the Bay Area and how cool the comic scene is around here. Like, we have lost a lot of comic stores over the past few years, but those that are still here are really rad. Um, and also there's some really talented creators. Like I mentioned meeting Mary Shine and it was in a, at an event in Santa Rosa at the Schultz Museum and Maya was there. There were some other creators who were really great there. And then Cape and Cowl Comics down in Oakland recently hosted Cape and Cowl Con. Sarah and I went down to that. It was at the Gilman Brewery in Berkeley and there were so many amazing creators. There were a couple of local publishers that were there. I made a bunch of introductions and hopefully we'll be able to have more people on, but it was just like, that'll be great. It was one of those kind of really nice realizations of like, Oh yeah, there's still like creative weirdos that are still around here. It's not all just tech bros. That's so good. Yeah. I, I mean, know. plus it's gorgeous here. It is. And I mean like, you know, you and Sarah and I all grew up in the, the yeah. greater Bay area. And so like we we're kind of the rarities now because like most of the right. people that didn't go into tech have left. Like I had a friend who can't live here. I had a friend who was a doctor who was like, I am moving to like Philadelphia because I can buy a mansion. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, right. That's you just know, the thing. Like, yeah, I know someone in the Nashville area who bought a five or six bedroom mansion for less than what my little suburb ranch house cost. Well, you know, I used to say, and this is probably more true now than it's ever been. I used to say this in probably the early 2000s, but you used to be able to buy a, a castle in France for as much as you could buy a home in Sonoma County. And that's mm-hmm. probably still true. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure that if we if we sold our house now, we could buy. I know we could because I look at like weird old listings on Zillow and stuff like that. I know that we could sell this house and with the remaining cash, buy a dilapidated like chateau or castle or something in somewhere in Europe for cash and then have enough left over to do some reasonable renovations to it. Not all of them for that price are dilapidated. Let me just tell you, like they're modernized. (laughs) They're looking decent. Like it just costs a shitload to live here. Yeah. And like, I mean, like, you know, generally like, you know, Jessica can tell you like Sarah and I are not super moneyed or anything. We just got really lucky with how we got this house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the fact that my father-in-law is a contractor and has been helping us with repairs and updates. Well, it's it sucks because in our generation, you have to have generational wealth or yep. you have to get lucky or you have to, like, have earned savings from, like, having your house burned down or something. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it's just like there's which still wasn't enough money to bu- get anywhere near buying a house. So it's like, yeah. well, OK, fine. I like to joke with Sarah and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I know you're with me because I come from money. And she just like the look she gives me every time. Lol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. So anyway, what about you? Well, I'm thinking about fuckery around streaming services. Uh... Yep. So it's currently mid-August and Disney and Hulu, I think, are the next in the list of networks that are going to be cracking down on password sharing outside of subscribers' physical residential address. Which Netflix has already started doing this about, what, two months ago? Yeah. With the intention of causing the people outside of the home to have to purchase their own subscriptions. But in my family, joke's on you, Netflix, because I just refuse to watch anything on their network now that I can't use my parents' account. And they were paying a little bit more to have multiple accounts. And so they were like, okay, well, not anymore. We're not. Well, yeah, So it's you dumb. lost money from us. Like, you lost money. I don't care if I can't watch something on Netflix. Well, and I love how Disney shit. is, like, threatening that now. And I'm like, I think it's cute that you I think you have enough. Shit content to like actually make us all want to to like pay more money to watch that because like yeah you've got some fun stuff but not enough that we go there every fucking day no no exactly that's the thing and if you don't allow my family because i'm the person with the the disney account if you don't allow me to let my family use that i won't have it anymore because it frankly will not be worth it because i don't use uh, it enough i don't watch tv enough Thankfully, Paramount Plus has not announced anything like that yet. I mean, like, yet. I know that they're gone at some point. But but I will say, Paramount Plus so far, like, pretty solid. And uh, they recently upped their rates. But then they were like, but you're also getting Showtime. And I was like, well, all right. That's that's fine. Yeah, there you go. Like, I will take all of the Star Trek plus Showtime. Right. Also, the new Transformers movie is on there. Not bad. Like, the last couple of Transformers movies okay. have been shockingly watchable. Like. Okay. They lost LaBeouf. Well, yeah, and they replaced him with Haley Steinfeld. No, just... <laughs> it was good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, like no more beef. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You've lost the beef. Somehow, like I, I will, I will, uh, I will happily accept. Uh, what's his name from In the Heights 
and Haley Steinfeld of Hawkeye and Spider Gwen and Across the Universe as right. replacements. Like, right. like definitely an upgrade. Also, not having Michael Bay directing them anymore. Also good. Right. But if any of these people want to come on the show, please come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, mm, I don't know. Not Megan Fox. Maybe not everyone. Yeah. No, no, no. Not Megan Fox. I don't care about that. So whatever. Although Jennifer's body. Unsung masterpiece. A gay classic. Yes. We love it. So anyway, yeah, I'm just thinking about how like ridiculously greedy these corporations are. And like they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're just like full, like going full mustache twirly villain about it. You know what it is? I think there's going to be some serious comeuppance with these strikes that are going on because the the sag after strike the writer strike it's all still going on yep i think this is their last hurrah of like unfettered greed and insane corporate profits yeah i think there's going to be a reckoning of some kind like hopefully that's what that's what i'm expecting i kind of (laughs) i kind of equate it to like the time that my dog managed to get so I, i had a beagle and he managed to get an entire pizza off of the counter in the kitchen oh, one no. time and he <laughs> he just went for it man and it was like he only had so much time and he knew it and then like he made a break for it and like was carrying this pizza and trailing tomato sauce all no. over the kitchen and dining room and it was Shit. so bad but but i'm like oh okay so you're just in the breakaway moment before like you know <laughs> before the consequences hit okay Exactly. Oh my goodness. I, you know, I always, I look at people with kids and I think I'm, I don't have those. I'm so glad. And then I have a dog. Like that's not the same thing to a point. So, (laughs) oh goodness. Well, friends, that about wraps up our episode for Mm -hmm. this week. But next week we will be back with the dollar bin discovery. And then the week after that, we are going to roll into another deep dive. Exactly. (laughs) Well, friends, tell you what, until then, stay safe and we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is Tencent Takes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.